is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, London is Blue podcast. podcast. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Cobham Crew. That's right, Phil is back at Chelsea Youth, bringing the good news, Mister Good Vibes FC. Phil, that is what you're here for. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly, as far as the academy is concerned, I wouldn't say that I've carved out a reputation as me being Mr. Good Vibes on, on certain social media platforms, shall we say. But yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm forever an optimist when it comes to the academy. And uh, there's a lot of good things going on right now, um, as we're going to get into. Yeah, that's uh, that's why we brought you in. Look, emergency Chelsea youth pod, just because we need some, some good vibes. Obviously, we brought the blue royalty in again, you know, uh, making progress in the the Women's FA Cup, the youth, right? We are pretty much doing a lo- an instant reaction from the academy uh, because you were just at King's Meadow watching Chelsea's academy take on Arsenal's academy, the dev squad's battle off, and it was super, super tight. Hopefully you've had time to warm up enough to uh, kind of run back how it was. Uh, I don't know. We can start with starting lineup just to kind of set the stage. Uh, and then we can walk through uh, what went down. How about that? Yeah, sure. It's um, finished just over an hour ago as we're recording. Nice, easy journey back. And a, a, a pretty confident performance, all told. That They came into this off the back of a golder straw at Liverpool last weekend. Uh, they were probably good value for a point in that one. But uh, you watch it back and... Gagas Lonina had a really, really good game, making two or three important saves. And that's going to become a theme of our chats, as, um, not just in this episode, but as we go on. Um, it was unfortunate that he didn't win at Liverpool because Manchester City had dropped two points against Fulham two days before. So it was an opportunity to close that gap. It didn't happen. Uh, and we move on. But So Arsenal come to Kings Meadow. Um, it's pretty much... 90% the same team that played at Liverpool. Slonina's in goal. We've got the back three of Josh Brookie and Alfie Gilchrist and Zach Sturge, which has become pretty familiar now. Uh, ben Elliott and Lewis Hall playing in midfield. Lewis is now play, training with the first team for full time, but with so many players available to Graham Potter and all of that noise going on, Lewis getting to play regular dev squad minutes is still vitally important if he's not playing for the first team. Juan Castillo moved out to left wing back, having played in central midfield at Liverpool last weekend. Dion Rankin, ever present on the right. And then you've got Harvey Vell, Amari Hutchinson, Mason Burstow up front. So a pretty good team. Um, a little bit short on experience by comparison to Arsenal, who gave 45 minutes to Emma Smith-Rowe, who's been out injured for a while, and to new signing Jakub Kivio, Polish international centre-half. Arsenal have had a, a strange season in PL2. I mean, they're fairly solidly mid-table. Um, they've done well in all of the cup competitions and all the runs they've had there. They've used a lot of players, so knowing what you're going to get from them is a week-to-week proposition. But this was a good, classic London derby type of match. There was a pace and an intensity to it. There wasn't quite a lot of cutting edge in attacking areas. Lots of decent approach play, lots of build-up play, and Arsenal maybe had the better chances. It was another good performance from Slonina. He made a series of important saves at important times in the match. And that all comes to a head when Leo Castledine comes off the bench, scored the winner with just under five minutes to go. Hutchinson did well down the right, puts it across, gets half cleared. Castledine pounces on it first, opportunist. Bit of a deflection, 1-0 to Chelsea. And they stay very much in the hunt against Manchester City. So it looks like Emma Smith-Rowe played for them, a familiar name to, to most yep. fans. And he had a good first half. He's, he's been out for a while with injury and they haven't forced him and rushed him back. And he didn't really get out of first or second gear he had a couple of good moments one good save from Slonina or one he dragged wide but yeah being on the pitch I mean he's an England international Kivio's uh 
Polish international and Slovenian as a US international. So there was that top end talent presence on the pitch in a, a generally high quality looking match. It wasn't the best in terms of one minute to 90 minutes. Everyone was on flames playing the best football they could have, but there's quality there underpinning everything. Yeah, and I'd also say it was a good day for this to come. I saw CFC Central Sam was watching this. Obviously, Ollie watches everything. Uh, you know, I don't even know how sometimes. Uh, but Ollie was really happy with Zach Sturge as well. He said he was brilliant again, really impressed with what he's been able to do. He's left center back today. I don't know if he stood out to you, if you're just getting accustomed to his high level. He, he did play really well. And it's to his credit that he's done well at left centre half, which isn't his natural position. He has at Brighton been a left back or a left wing back and very occasionally further forward. And Chelsea have got, as weird as it sounds after a couple of years with very few options, there are a proliferation of options there now. They have Sturge, they have Dylan Williams, who was absent in this one. They've got Lewis Hall who can do it, Harvey Vale's back who can do it, and Juan Castillo's back, having been injured last summer. So now they've got a lot of options there. But when Bashir Humphreys went out on loan in January, they don't have a lot of centre-half options, naturally. So Zach's slotted in on the left side of that. Alfie Gilchrist has been the mainstay in the middle, and Josh Brookings has been holding it down on the right. And... It, 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 it works a little bit fluidly. Zach can go on the classic overlapping run from wide centre-back role that we've seen so often and so successful in the past and various teams have utilised it. But he goes 1v1 against some good players tonight. 1v1 against someone like Joel Ledejo or Charles Sego or Amario Kozudubri. All really good 1v1 talents. And didn't give him a sniff all night. So that's very much to his credit. And it's three consecutive clean sheets in a row now for Slonina at Chelsea. And um, just checking my notes for the rest of the games because he didn't play in all of those. But Zach's been a regular for the majority of the season and especially in the back three since Bash went out on loan. Uh, they conceded a couple up at Blackburn, a couple to West Ham. But otherwise, this is a team that's conceding fewer and fewer goals as it's going on. They had a run of four clean sheets in five either side of the winter break in the PL2 and as they move forward they had one at Liverpool last week one against Arsenal here having that floor of not conceding is going to be so important because it almost guarantees you a point as you go neck and neck with Man City in this title running which has got half a dozen games to go now yeah no absolutely uh obviously this is great as well because last time we played Arsenal back in August uh we got pumped 4-1 did not we go didn't. well it hasn't been particularly good run against them for a few years I think it was the 2020-21 season that they last won Livramento scored in that game he hasn't been around for a while um, Brian Fiabemer also scored in that game he's back from uh, loan at Forest Green Rovers wasn't involved here as several others weren't but he's been involved in a couple of friendlies behind closed doors to get a bunch of boys minutes and just looking back at that lineup, the the one 3-0 a few years ago it, it, it is quite startling to think that it is only two years, or two and a half years, but it had Ian Martin, it had Levi Colwell, had Livramento, players who've gone on, played Premier League football, and that two, any any of the boys from the tonight's lineup that were successful again, where are they going to be in two years' time? There's a lot of talent in this group, and it's really exciting to look forward to the running now. It's going to be neck and neck against Manchester City. I don't think anyone else is going to be able to close the gap. Those those two. Uh, a fair fair number of points ahead of third now. It, oh yeah, for for sure. Um, so uh, look, I'm happy. I'm thrilled. Uh, love to see it. Love to see the chatter about this on, um, 
you know, on social. And it was really cool that it got broadcast as well. This game was moved yes. at short notice. It was meant to be played on Friday night, but Arsenal were in the Youth Cup uh, the previous night. So they asked for it to be moved. Uh, had it been Friday night, it wouldn't have been allowed to be broadcast because there's this really curious archaic Premier League rule that if there's a Premier League match on Sky or BT or Amazon, then clubs cannot show a PL2 game going on at the same time. There was no Monday Night Football in the Premier League this week, so it opened up the opportunity for Chelsea to broadcast it. It is a ridiculous rule. If you feel particularly passionate about it, like I do, then uh, make it known to the Premier League, please, because we can probably try to get it changed. But yeah, uh, in, in lieu of that, it was yeah, a good opportunity. And it was just one of those things, to your point. A lot of the Chelsea community online were invested in the match, found coverage easily accessible across a myriad of platforms, and the demand is there. There was a decent attendance. It was nearly 700 people, which sounds small, but for a PL2 game, particularly at Kings Meadow, where attendances haven't been great, it was it was good to see the place full. There was a bit of a vibe. And the more eyes we can get on PL2 and development football, the better, because it is, it's a really enriching and rewarding experience. Plus, it's just generally good football, good, exciting product. Without a doubt. Uh, I got the push notification from the Fist Stand app. So obviously, you know, Chelsea putting some weight behind it too, which you love to see. Um let me look at your notes here because I got a couple follow-up questions, but I don't want to spoil anything. Um, all right, I got two questions. You don't have to spend long on them. Obviously, mm-hmm. Gago Slonina, you know, probably Chelsea's number one here by the end of the season. Kidding. Um, <laughs> There's a chance. <laughs> so I guess, do you want to... Does he look too good for Dev Squad, or does he feel like this is his level? Obviously, he was playing week in, week out at the MLS level with Chicago, who are a dumpster fire and are always a dumpster fire. But as a goalkeeper, sometimes that's a good situation because you get a ton of action. He's young. He's, what, 18, 19? How are you feeling like he's adjusting to life in London? I think he's doing really well. Um, I'd say he's too good for PL2, or certainly at the top end of PL2, because... He carries an authority and a presence with him that not a lot of young goalkeepers have. And a lot of young goalkeepers around his age will be out on loan. We've got a couple of boys out on loan in non-league football. Then you've got Jamie Cumming and Nathan Baxter who are a bit older and have been through the journey from the seventh tier to the sixth tier all the way up to the second tier. Um, they weren't playing at the level that Slonina was playing at as an 18-year-old. And you can see that he comes in with a confidence and authority. Uh, and when Karlstein scored, he sprinted full on the length of the pitch 87th minute to join his teammates in celebration at the other end he he has a, he has a character he has a presence he's already with this group he's been training since november but he's just seen interviews with him and off the pitch he seems a really likable guy really good teammate lots of talent there and start making big saves at big points i mean goalies live that charmed life where one mistake and you start to doubt them it's you could say oh well he didn't catch that ball well or he was a little bit uncertain there and that can happen to any goalie at any level but when the body of work surpasses all of that I think he's for his first three games in a new country in a new environment he's done really well I love to hear that so um can I get an update my boy Lewis Hall uh and then I would really be interested to hear how was Harvey Vale readjusted uh to life at Cobham uh Lewis was really good and I've spoken at length about this on multiple episodes playing him in central midfield is where you're going to get the best out of him. It's entirely to his credit that when he's played on the left for the men's first team, he's been good to very good. Um, But you get the full package when you see him playing in central midfield. Uh, And there was a lot of graft involved in tonight's game. Ben Elliott was outstanding alongside him, particularly with the sweeping up of second balls and keeping the composure to distribute 
and spread the play wide rather than just trying to force the issue, which gave Lewis a little bit more freedom to play that box-to-box role, influence the game in the final third, link with players uh, the, with the front three. Uh, it didn't quite come off in some of the, the end product in the box, but it's, it's, it's just really good to watch him play. And like I, uh, I said at the outset, he's training full-time with the first team, but when the opportunity is there, to be on the pitch getting regular minutes for the dev squad if he's not getting minutes in the first team then he's going to be a key factor in this running um harvey has come along pretty well now um he was exciting and on form tonight again didn't quite come off for him or everybody else that's why it was one nil until the very end uh, sorry it didn't it took until the very end for the goal to come but he had a couple of lively moments early on went outside his man, looks very comfortable to be back in a, in a blue shirt and in Chelsea surroundings playing his natural game again. After a really frustrating time of it at Hull, um, didn't play. When he did, wasn't playing in a, a really functional team, didn't get consistency of minutes. And those consistency of minutes are coming back for him. We know he's already proven himself what he can do in PL2 and he's far beyond that level of talent now. The competition for minutes in the first team... Seems like it won't favour him if you've spent a lot of money on Madueke and if you're for some reason persisting with Hakim Ziyech, then you're going to be some way down the the pecking list. But I wouldn't put it past him to get a cameo at the end of the season because he's that good and he's played for the men's first team before as well. Love it, Harvey. It, it's a it's a top-heavy PL2 team. The, they've got a lot of attacking options and it's it's fun for me to watch anyway. <laughs> yeah, Phil, Phil's, I mean, that's what it's about, man. Get the popcorn ready. Uh, Amari Hutchinson, um, you know, he's, how did he fare against his potentially even former teammates, I might I might ask? Yeah, lots of former teammates. And we can say the same about him as we just said about Harvey and Lewis. Lots of endeavor, lots of almost moments that didn't quite come off. But he was involved in the winning goal. He had the composure to go outside onto his weaker foot where Arsenal were trying to force him deliver the cross anyway because that second ball is going to come and one of them are going to fall for you and it fell for uh, for Leo Carstein and, uh, and they got the luck they deserved. He, The thing about Amari is a lot of people see the highlights of the the creativity, the flair, the dribbling, the finishing, but he works really, really hard on and off the ball. He, he wants the responsibility of having the possession and driving the team forward. He will work back and win it. He, you routinely see him back at the halfway line in his own half to get on the ball to to win it back and I think that's been maybe the most pleasing aspect I, I know a lot about his game we've spoken episodes last summer when he was signed he's like one of the top three talents of that age group in PL2 last season but being able to see him close at hand over a concerted period of time he works really hard and that's that augurs well for when he does eventually go off perhaps on loan next season into men's football because minimum requires maximum effort I love it. I love it. Um, all right. Well, put a bow on this one. Uh, beating Arsenal, something um, not all teams are good at doing. Uh, the women just did, which I love. Uh, if you want to hear about that, Blue Royalty covered it. Full match review. Uh, it was great. But we should talk about uh, the 18s. Um, they have also played. Matches are kind of coming and going. Like, I'm confused this time of year, Phil. Like, my God, I've been <laughs> there six both. times. I've never seen a freaking academy game. We barely get to see women's games. And sure shit, I'm not going to see <laughs> an academy game next week while I'm there. But the 18s, they have not played since February of the 18th. They also played Arsenal. And they also lost 4-1, which is an oddly recurring scoreline in this fixture. It is. And it was frustrating morning Arsenal as mentioned earlier had a youth cup game later in the week so they sort of went with a dress rehearsal lineup a pretty strong team 
I'd argue that it's their strongest eleven. Chelsea didn't for various reasons. Their season's moving in a different direction to Arsenal. Played a couple of younger boys, a couple of Roddy started first start back from injury, having been out all year. He scored a really well taken goal. Um, and it was very, very good to see him back getting 90 minutes as well. But it was just one of those days. Arsenal went ahead with a soft goal. It was a really good save by Luke Campbell. Um, but the ball bounced favourably for Amari Benjamin, their top scorer, and he just about bundled it over the line. Then they scored a free kick. Then Chelsea got back, but they're always chasing the game. And when you're chasing the game, you're going to leave things open. They made a silly mistake for the third one, and then Arsenal got a fourth late on. And by Chelsea, well out of the game by then, they're sort of doesn't matter if you lose 3-1 or 4-1. I don't think you can really tell a lot from that scoreline. Chelsea won at Arsenal on the opening day on balance. They're, it's always going to be two pretty closely matched teams regardless of how the table looks. Chelsea are above Arsenal in the table, several points ahead of them. But it wasn't their day against... I've said it numerous times, over the Arsenal have really talented academy. They've got really good players. Two of their standout boys uh, in that game are still under 16s. Miles Lewis Skelly and Ethan Wanneri. Chelsea have been with both of them. Lewis Skelly was a sc- uh, an under nine at Chelsea. Uh, we go back when, as as we've said, every single player in football has somehow stopped for a cup of coffee at Chelsea at bare minimum. Um, it, it happens. And then it would have been nice to bounce back with uh, a trip to Fulham, local derby. And Fulham are a really good team as well. But that one was called off at Fulham's request, uh, which means that we're left with another long gap between games, to your point. The schedule has been so unpredictable this year that it doesn't seem like they've been able to put back-to-back games together. And with a week off when you guys are over, they're not playing now until the 11th of March at home to Brighton. That does mean that the end of the season is going to be jam-packed. They they play on the 11th of March, the 18th of March, then 1st of April, 15th, 18th, 22nd, 26th of April. They're finishing, and then 29th. Their last five games of the season take place in a fortnight. So it goes back to the point that we've spoken about for years. You're going to start to see a different distribution of players. Some under-16s are going to get more minutes. Uh, We've got the under-17 Cup still ongoing. We'll talk about that in a minute. It's been a very disjointed season schedule-wise. The results have been up and down as a little bit of a result of that. There's been a bit of flux. Ed Brand is no longer the coach. He still officially hasn't joined Jody Morris at Swindon with the EFL hold-up. But there's been a change of coach. There's been all sorts of things going on. But... It's still been generally positive. They've got a, a winning record and a lot of good players. Yeah. Uh, so Chelsea U18, they're in the Premier League U18 Southern Conference, obviously. Um, and they're on 23 points in fourth. Uh, West Ham United just running away with this Southern Conference. They're in first on 42 points. Yeah. A fortnight ago, we said, is there a chance of Chelsea catching them? I said no, but maybe. Well, there's no maybe now. Yeah. They, you, they you can't can... afford to give them any any slack at all. Chelsea lost to, to Arsenal. West Ham beat Norwich. And uh, West Ham have been a class apart. Yeah. Uh, fair play to them. Uh, right. And at Fulham, which we talked about who the 18 shows play, they're in second on 24 points. Crystal Palace in third on 24 points. Again, Chelsea fourth on 23 points. Uh, it is very tight. You know, if you go all the way down to seven, that's 18 points, right? There's only six points between all of those spots. I forgot to mention the uh, the 
the PL2, the dev squad, you said it in passing that the uh, essentially Man City are in first with 38 points, Chelsea in second uh, with 36 points. You said they're kind of running away with it. You're not wrong. Liverpool third on 29 points, who they just drew 0-0 away the weekend before. So a, a lot of results, you know, again, academy football is for development. Uh, Chelsea have an amazing record for development. You love to be in the hunt for things. Uh, and the dev squad are absolutely in the hunt for things, which is great. Uh, and the 18s are learning and growing, which is also fine. Um, I can't, I like that April is, is really just crazy. It is, but we talk about development and winning, uh, going hand in hand at Chelsea because fundamentally in the professional development stage, you are teaching players about the value of competing for honors and for points. And while the 18s might not have, uh, a trophy themselves by age group, they're out of the youth cup, they're out of the under 18 cup and they're not going to win the league. Many of them will play for the under-17s who do have a real chance of winning a trophy this season. They're in the semi-finals of the under-17 Premier League Cup, having beaten Southampton 4-2 shortly before that Arsenal game. Uh, it explains why some of the players were absent. Donnell McNeely, for example, played in that one. He didn't play against Arsenal. Some teams play the 17s Cup a little bit more seriously because you're allowed three overage players of under-18. Some of them will go really young. Chelsea have had a balance of it, but they had Arsenal, Leicester and Fulham in the group stage. They beat Arsenal, they beat Leicester and drew with Fulham. Brings you to the quarterfinal. They went down to Southampton and won 4-2. They had two goals from the returning Ato Ampa, who's been out for a few months injured. Tyreek George scored one. Uh, Shim Mayoka, who's still an under-15, scored. Um, and now they've got Tottenham in the semi-final. And the other semi will be Middlesbrough versus Nottingham Forest. They're one-off matches, but they're two games away from Silverware there. So these boys are playing regularly for the 18s. The 17s is, is a cup competition on the side. It will be mostly for younger players. But now that it's their biggest and best hope of a trophy for that age group, I wouldn't be surprised to see them go all in on it because we've seen how rewarding silverware can be. All of the graduates that have made the first team have been serial winners at every age group. And you have to keep that that that, that, that feeling alive. It, it enriches the player. It stokes the amp, fires of ambition. And there is nothing quite like winning in football. Um, unfortunately, the men's first team uh, <laughs> making us realize that in a different way right now. Oh, man, you can't avoid it right now. It is everywhere. Uh, but we're going to stay focused on the Youth Academy. Uh, we're going to take a break. When we get back, uh, we're going to talk about some U16s representing England. Uh, and then we have a lot of loan updates. So, again, thank you to the sponsors for uh, financially supporting the show. And we'll be right back. Are you missing out on your favorite shows because it's not available in your region? Trying to keep your private time private? Well, let me introduce you to NordVPN. If you're bored of the US Netflix, why not just take it for a spin in the UK? Using NordVPN and a click of a button, you can do just that. No need to travel to Japan for your favorite anime when NordVPN brings it right to you with 5,000 plus servers. No show is out of your reach. Using my link, nordvpn.com forward slash London is blue. You can receive a huge discount on a two-year plan with one month free. We all love to binge, but privacy is a big deal too. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. They've also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. Say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware. Even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. Don't forget, there's literally no risk to you with our 30-day money-back guarantee. Give it a try, and if you like it, great. If you don't, they'll issue a refund, and you can pretend the entire situation never happened. Check it out. My link, nordvpn.com forward slash London is blue to get your subscription started today. 
Right, Phil. Uh, Chelsea continue to dominate uh, the the young Lions at every age group. We had three U16s playing uh, with England um, in, a, in a tournament. Yeah, it was a tournament for 2007-born players, if anyone out there wants to feel particularly old. Um, it was in Cyprus. They hosted it. Uh, Denmark and Scotland were in it as well. Chelsea had three boys in the England team that won all three games without conceding. Um, Shimaoka was, as we just spoke about him, scoring against Southampton. He was in the group. He scored in one of the matches. Um, then Kobe Barber, who's a right winger, and Hudson Sands, a goalkeeper, really. they're all actually club under-15s playing for England under-16s because of the way the FIFA do different age groups. Um, but Mayoka's already played for the 18s. Sands has been on the bench once. Um, Barber's a regular for the 16s. It's, it's just indicative of the fact that Chelsea continue to supply England with plentiful numbers of players. Across 15 to 21 this season, there's been 30-plus, without including anyone at senior level. The under-15s had their first official internationals a few weeks earlier. There were four boys in that squad. One particular name of interest for people out there would have been uh, young Landon Emanalo. Interesting. So we may hear from him in a few years to come, but it was that's the 2008 born crop. We won't get into those too much, but when people see the name Emanalo back at Chelsea, uh, it's sure to raise a few questions. So maybe we'll get to talk about him in an episode in a year or two's time. What is he doing, Mike? Michael? Uh, he's not with Chelsea anymore. I don't know what he's doing on and off the pitch. Maybe he's doing a consultancy, but I don't think he's in an official capacity. Oh, uh, as you'd expect, Wikipedia, the official source, says he is not held the job since he left AS Monaco in 2019. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's uh, Maybe he's, he's being a dad, be a, a family leisure. guy. Yeah, and uh, more power to him for that because I think everybody should take that opportunity to when they can. For Especially sure. if you've, you've had a long and particularly arduous spell at Chelsea where I don't think um, he got the credit that he deserved and uh, history has definitely been kinder to him for his absence and what came after him and what he tried to bring to the club well ahead of time and well ahead of others imitating significantly afterwards. But um, as is the case with a lot of officials and coaches and, and staff at clubs, the, the kids will enrol in the academy uh, from a young age Sometimes for convenience, but often they'll if they if they prove that they're good enough, then they stay. And both of his boys have been involved in the younger academy age groups. And Landon's the youngest, and he seems to be doing pretty well for himself if he's getting England recognition. Oh, well, obviously he's around. So, um, yeah, you and Matt Law definitely co-chairs of the Emanalo fan club, and understandably so. Uh, let's talk about some of the loans. All right, so a bit of a pivot. Ian Motson. Can we recall, like, what are our options there? He is tearing it up in the championship, sadly going down with a bit of a shoulder injury. He did post on social media right after the match. It's minor. He's okay. But he he's just going from strength to strength, Phil. He's been outstanding for a Burnley team that have been head and shoulders above the rest of the championship this year. I think it's been a weaker championship than usual, but Burnley aren't to blame for that they're miles clear and they're going to be promoted comfortably which will open the discussion about whether Martin goes there permanently or on an extended loan for another year having earned the considerable trust of Vincent Company he was talking in an interview this week that when making his decision in the summer he spoke with Nathan Ake about whether he should go on loan there or, or go on loan anywhere or push it out of Chelsea and it was like well where are you going to play the most football and you see the results of players who play regular football and it's all about reintegration back at Chelsea can we recall him this season? No. There is 
a weird edge case because he's under 21 that when Burnley season is done, he is eligible to come back to play for Chelsea at 21's level. But he's not allowed to play for a Premier League club. There used to be a loophole. Jack Grealish did it years and years ago. He spent the year on loan at Notts County, then came back and played for Aston Villa. But I think they've closed it. In any event, it doesn't happen. He does have a shoulder injury, which hopefully will be weeks rather than months. Um, to draw a recent comparison, Ben Elliott dislocated his shoulder in a 21s game. It was out for a few weeks and has been back the last couple um, looking just the same as ever. So hopefully nothing serious for Ian because he was the Championship Player of the Month um, in the same month that Company was the Manager of the Month. Massive, massive influence to the team up and down the left side, having the flexibility to play inside. We know he's played central midfield for the Netherlands. Quality player. Whether he gets reintegrated in the summer is a debate for a different time. We know that Cucurella hasn't had the best first season at Chelsea we know that Chilwell has had injury issues over the last two years and we know that Martin will be in a position where he needs to play regular top flight football and there will be plenty of conversations about departures at men's first team level and the reintegration of the likes of Martin and Levi Colwell who've had exceptional development seasons out on loan who are pushing for reintegration themselves yeah but he those two i mean cole was just back from recent injury training for the first time today as we record those two would be sort of head of the class of this year's loan group which is it's still it's slimmed down there's 20 odd players but it's, it's not like the 40 each year that we've been used to yeah well you know chelsea pissing off the rest of the football world getting new rules applied uh it's kind of what we do um teddy Sharman low eddie beach uh, sounds like they are on a bit of a good run of good form. They're playing in, in non-league football, uh, both goalkeepers. Uh, isn't Eddie Beach pretty young? Uh, he's 19. I'm going to say yeah. 19. I think okay. he may be, it, it may be turning 20. No, he's 19 to turn 20 next season. Um, he's definitely young as a goalkeeper. He only started playing in goal as a 15 year old. He got too tall for the field. <laughs> well, it was just one of those things that they discussed sort of his options and, he played in goal and went for a training camp and got signed up and ended up at Southampton and was playing as a regular for their dominant team of last season. They lost the national final to Man City, but they were the best team in the South League. Um, <laughs> after which Chelsea went and signed him. They tried to sign Tyler Dibbling and it didn't work out. And then they signed Jimmy J. Morgan. So if Southampton do well, Chelsea is just going to go in and, um, and take their best players, apparently. But... It's, uh, yeah, he's gone to Chelmsford and Charman Lowe's gone to Haven and Waterlooville, which are both um, in the National League South. And they've both done really well. Getting that out of that academy environment and into senior football is the most important thing any young goalkeeper can do. You have to pick the right time for it. And they both had regular academy football for over a year. Teddy was injured for much of this year, but he's previously played a little bit of men's first team football for Burton. So getting them out, getting them involved in that environment, it's, it's, it's a sink or swim moment for any young footballer, but particularly goalies. And those they're, they're both swimming um, and very confidently so right now. They are improving their team's fortunes of winning each week. There will be mistakes. It happens with all goalkeepers. But to the point about Slonina earlier, the body of work is positive and it gives the momentum going into the summer because then you can start to look at another loan move, a step up, playing National League, for example. If you're Charmin Low, you might try to push for a a League Two team, for example. Uh, but there, there's certainly no rush with them because you can be a goalkeeper who's on loan 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, moving up the ladder each step of the way, like Baxter's done, like Jamie Cummins done. And the slow but steady course is definitely the way to go. And it's just, it's impressive to see because 
it's we've spoken before about Chelsea not having produced a first team level goalkeeper. It's really hard to for several reasons. But they do produce a number of really solid, capable professional goalkeepers. You look around, Jamal Blackman's doing really well at Exeter. Ben Killip, who was briefly a scholar before moving on to Norwich, um, has been a mainstay for Hartlepool for years. Doing really well there. Jamie Cummins at MK, still on loan, Baxter and this. It's it's encouraging to see more of them coming through. And yes, we signed Sharman Lowe from Burton and Beach from Southampton, but it's much of a muchness. Everybody recruits heavily in academy football these days. And there'll be more to come as well. Um, Lucas Bergstrom had a good spell at Peterborough and now he's back at Chelsea um, Sammy Clemassani is still around Prince Adagoke is still around even if they don't make it at Chelsea beyond the summer I think they've still got a decent chance of having a solid professional career themselves and then the next generation Max Merrick's already on loan at Hanwell Town a step below where Beach and Sharman Lowe are at he's getting he's 17 he's playing in, in meaningful football all the time Ted Kurtz probably going to be on that path sooner rather than later it's, it's I know goalkeeping is an endeavour close to your heart and it's 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 a fascinating development pathway because it doesn't conform to any of the outfielders by by the same comparison. Yeah, I mean Edwin van der Sar, you know, his career was fascinating. You know, he played so late in his career. Um but you also, you know, look around, you think Ross Turnbull, I mean, even though he never, you know, really kicked off at Chelsea, won the Champions League, he had a career. Um, who was the goalkeeper who left? Oh, so promising. He was our third string a few seasons ago. He left and then went to PSG and it just never kicked off. Oh, that was Marcin Bulka. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's playing for Nice these days and playing pretty well himself. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, he, they, they, there's been plenty of them. Him and Jamie Cummin were, were teammates in the same age group. And, I mean, he's still pretty young himself. He's 23, but regular football needs to come his way. He, you could see the promise with him, and you can see it. It's just it's fleeting at times when they're young because in academy football, in a dominant team like he was in at Chelsea, you don't get a whole lot to do, which means that the occasional mistake that happens gets highlighted. Even there's more of a spotlight on you when it happens because it will happen. But I mean, you could say it hasn't happened for him. He spent time in development at Chelsea, Paris Saint Germain, and Nice. It's a, pr- a pretty good finishing school for any young player, and at 23, he could still have 20 years in the game. Goalies can go on until their early 40s quite comfortably across the board and, and Gigi Buffon will probably play into his 50s. Yeah, it's um, so funny. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting side story, this, just the development of goalkeeper pathway through Chelsea. And it'd be great if one of them does come along um, uh, and asserts themselves in the in the men's first team. And it might be Solonino, who is a signing, but he's spending some time in the development setup and in the academy and, and proving that he belongs to. Yeah. The the other one, Bashar Humphreys, who, you know... Uh, Look, we saw him, right? I mean, shit, he played against Manchester City when we had the defensive injury crisis. Uh, he, Not an easy game for anyone to come in and debut in at all, but acquitted himself. For sure. Well. So we saw him a couple times, right, in a short little run there around winter. He went to Paderborn in Germany. They're in the Bundesliga 2. Uh, and, you know, according to Chelsea's website, you know, he's had a good run of games here recently. I think he's, like, played three and four or something like that. Um, they've got three league wins in a row with him there and they're pushing for a promotion, just two points behind, uh, the playoff spot and six from automatic promotion. So all things said, he's in a good atmosphere. It's competitive. They're pushing, he's getting some minutes. Um, this one seems to be panning it's out nicely. Very, very good. Yeah, it is. And like, yeah, it's the second tier in Germany, but it's, it's a good standard of football. It's big modern stadiums full stadiums good atmosphere testing atmosphere 
uh, and he's ticking all the boxes. And it's another extended relationship informally. Um, Paderborn's sporting director is Benji Weber, who was on Thomas Tuchel's backroom staff. And so that discussion, that link has been renewed, even in Tuchel's absence, in terms of Benji not being familiar with Bash and looking at him as a loan option brings him in we spoke last time about Jody Morris being at Swindon rather and whether that can be an informal or formal pathway for developments in future as the Cobham network sprouts further and further away these sorts of relationships can only prove to be beneficial because he's not going there as an unknown quantity clubs will will recruit players and they're never a fully unknown quantity but you don't know them on a personal level like Benji will know Bash from having worked with him when Bash trains with the first team over the last couple of years it's, there's a level of trust and credit that's already built up and it means he can go into that environment and be trusted with starting minutes straight away. Gives you the confidence to go out there and thrive. And if he can help them get promoted into the Bundesliga next season, it sounds like a, a, a very sensible idea to extend it and to continue that challenge there. If they don't get promoted, he's now given himself exposure to another league and another level of football that gives him another shot window and another environment to go into. So yeah, really encouraging to see him go over there and command a starting place immediately and then back it up with the performances. Great. But you put Xavier Simons in here. Zat Hall sounds like it's going well, maybe a little too well, but maybe not. Maybe it's an okay thing, huh? It's been really weird with him uh, and with Hull all season, as we spoke about with Harvey Vale earlier. He didn't play very much under their previous manager, Shotter, other lads, either. But Liam Rosinia is in charge and Liam's a very... He's young, he's got bright ideas and he's very articulate and uh, very well regarded and he's doing a good job sort of turning Hull into a team that they deserve to be. And that's coincided with Zav getting a little bit more recognition in terms of first team playing time. Rosini has talked him up to the hill, loves him as a player and this has all coalesced around rumours that he's going to sign for them permanently, which has been talked about all season. They tried to get it formally done at the end of January. They didn't need to because he's on low there to the end of the season. All signs point towards that happening, which would be disappointing from a personal perspective because I think that he deserved more of an opportunity at Chelsea than he got. It's a little bit unfortunate that he spent a year out injured at a really, really important time in his development. He was flying through the under-18s and then missed out on that easy transition into the dev squad. Still made his first team debut under Tuchel at Brentford in a game where Sunsat Bell and Vale also played. Out of position as a right wing back. Did perfectly fine. Great debut against the team that he left to join Chelsea. And then there was no more. And we talk about capturing momentum and it felt like he deserved a bit more at that point with the way that Chelsea's squad options and lack of options. Are you going to give Zav Simons minutes that... Sol Niguez got instead? In my opinion, yes, but Sol got the minutes. Um, and, and we'll leave that one in the past. If he goes to Hull, it, he'll be a year or two from, in my opinion, being a Premier League player. If, if you can help Hull get promoted or to the verge of promotion, it opens teams' eyes in like that bottom eight of the Premier League. I think he's a future Premier League player all the way. It might not be a top six level player. I made the comparison to a friend earlier that someone like, Oriol Romeo has been able to enjoy a very, very respectable top flight career for a long time as a trusted midfield six who can receive and give the ball and be, you know, it's going to be looked after. He's a good destroyer and breaker up of play. He's okay in transition. He's an occasional goal threat. That seems to be the sort of player that I envision Zab being in the long term. And 
And, and Lord knows Chelsea have needed a player of that profile for a long, long time, and they still don't quite have it. I'm not saying Zav would have been that player, but if he does shine for Hull between now and the end of the season, I'll be personally delighted because he's been one of my favourite players to watch in the academy for a while now. Yeah, well, again, um, opportunities are earned. I'm glad to hear it's going well, you know, especially after the year injury, uh, things like that. And um, yeah, again, we're here to literally grow the game of football out of our academy on our own that's that's what chelsea does the target is to have an academy graduate in all 92 <laughs> football league clubs chelsea plus the other 91 oh my all of them gosh. can have one we, we've been through the exercise of looking through a round of premier league games and having a cobham an ex-cobham player in every match of a match to, uh, match round in the premier league We've been able to almost do it for Premier League and Championship on occasion. And we'll get there. We'll have at least every match in a weekend of Premier League down to League Two with a Cobham connection somewhere. Staff are helping as well, you know. Exactly. We will see it one day. That's and, crazy. Uh, and I will nerd out like never before. Yeah, like what is our Cobham penetration of of EFL in Premier League matches this weekend? Could be like We're going to turn the six line. degrees of Kevin Bacon into the six degrees of Cobham. Yeah. You won't, you're never Honestly. more than that many moves away from somebody who's been there. No shot. All right, we're going to take our last ad break. When we get back, a little bit of a special section for you. So you just have to trust us. Come back after the ads. Thanks to the sponsors. We'll be right back. All right, Phil, I don't know if you know, but we got some new owners. They've been making a lot of changes around Chelsea. And one thing that has come up in conversation is Cobham, which is interesting because um, it seems like Roman, obviously, changed the training ground. Bully's now in and has thoughts on the training ground as well. Obviously, you're very familiar with it, how it's laid out the neighborhood um, and and kind of just the operations there. You obviously have been to other Premier League training grounds and, and non-Premier uh, League training grounds to kind of give it a little bit of a comparison. Would you just kind of give us an overview of how Cobham is set up and maybe where it's placed within London? Yeah, so Cobham as a facility is pushing 20 years old now. Abramovich bought the club in 2003. They didn't move for a few years, 2005, 2006. And then the academy building was inaugurated in 2008. So we're 15 years down the line in terms of that, closer to 20 for the men's first team side. And as technologies and as money and investment has gone on in the English game, it can feel dated by comparison to some of the fresher and newer sites. Um, Leicester have the newest in the Premier League and it's a shiny and new and exciting and um, sprawling as as you could expect. And Tottenham's is newer and Manchester City's is newer. And they've all got their own positives. And Chelsea's as a footprint, as a of size, still dwarfs everybody. It's an absolutely ginormous site. But they are increasingly limited by how you can tangibly improve it. Um, you'll have seen across photos, videos, or various coverage over the years that both the men's and the academy buildings are of similar design. They are long and low. The academy building has two floors, a ground floor and a first floor. The men's first team building has a basement level to it as well. Uh, and that's been deliberately done because, as with anything, any sort of construction anywhere in the world, you have to receive planning permission to do so. And for a, a bunch of reasons, they can't add height 
to these buildings. They couldn't have designed a multi three, four, five story building if they'd have wanted to. Um, objections from any number of local people, environmental factors. They're right next to a railway line. There's there's so many different factors to consider into how you can expand the site. So you have to get creative with it. The academy have uh, a permanent fixed indoor facility, uh, the arena that they would have preferred to be a full size pitch in there for um, and. Under FIFA regulations, you can play a competitive match in an indoor arena if the roof is of a certain height as well. But they had to make compromises on that to get it done, and they've moved certain operations into there. The The women's building is a holdover from what the academy used to train in um, and is, quite frankly, not befitting a team of Chelsea standard in the women's game. And I'm sure if they could, and, and, if they, and they will be exploring various ways to to house them in a more appropriate fashion but it takes an eternity to get anything approved down at Cobham and you have to get everything approved so they've got fixed floodlights over the men's training pitches uh, they've got fixed floodlights over a couple of the academy pitches they've got CCTV poles they've got um, various things every every installation permanent installation on site has to go through rounds of approval and any number of objections that can come in even just a singular objection it's like you, know, you want to build on this protected greenbelt land can you demonstrate a need for it to expand your site why do you need it uh is it going to be introducing un undesirable environmental factors is it going to have too much egress is it going to do this out of the other is it going to cause too many problems all of which is to say that if the new ownership group feels that cobham needs a refresh there's Really, we we heard it in a story last week that they're looking to smarten it up with a more enjoyable relaxation and and recreation area and motivational signs. The academy building is listed with motivational signs all over the walls. It's it's a superficial level that you can improve things on in terms of your day to day experience, but in terms of tangibly improving the facilities, it is much much harder to do that with any fixed permanent installation. Not least, once you finally get approval, you then have to get into the construction phase. So we could be years away from doing that. If you wanted to throw the baby out of the bathwater and say, right, do you need a new site? That's a completely different game because then you have to identify the site, buy the site, build the property. And you're talking five years down the line to fight through all of those. It's just that much land doesn't exist or come easily to a club like Chelsea in the area that Chelsea would look to do it in. And it's just something that's bit I, I kind of alluded to it on social media that it's it's a really interesting discussion to have because Cobham's always been sort of very top of the tree. We know it's a world class facility for world class players, but after twenty years, after twenty five years, that's a long lifespan for any club's training centre. And it'd be interesting to see how this unfolds and whether they will identify a new site and try to build a new building or be more forceful in trying to get further permanent fixtures on site, which isn't easy because um, even in a world where money ma money makes everything happen, Cobham is one of the most affluent areas in the country. Money doesn't move things quite as easily around there as, as it might in other places, to be cynical. Um, but yeah, I mean, nobody's saying that Cobham's past its sell-by date as a, as a training facility, but in terms of where you want to position the club moving them forward, particularly the women's side. Um, they they need and deserve better than they've got. The academy did have plans to expand their footprint further, and so you can't go up, you can't go down. You wrap it round, you go longer, you make it into an L shape. Various things like that that haven't materialised, not least because of a change of ownership and 
changes in finances and all of those things but uh, kind of gone off on a a bit of a ramble there but it's it's just it's quite interesting to me just to see the improvements in technology and and where they go like if you look at photos and if you've been to leicester's facility it's really impressive It, it is because it's brand new um tottenham's is still really nice but in in five years tottenham's might feel dated it's just one of those things in life that chelsea will have been there nearly 20 years coming up soon and then you start to see the things that you'd like to improve they're constantly striving to be the very best in their class but they're they've got one hand tied behind their back in a lot of this yeah i i've been doing uh google maps on some of this stuff obviously tottenham uh look there's a lot of fields right obviously pitches let me clarify pitches um you know lesser city same thing a ton of pitches uh you look at you look at chelsea obviously you know a lot of pitches that's not the problem right the the differentiator between these and manchester city's just massive pentagon structure here is the building the infrastructure right that's really where the big difference is because they can rip out pitches and replace them you know they can do whatever they need to with the graph with the grass chelsea you and i were talking about this and it's a fun comparison they don't have a weight room the sports science comes into it right they are so limited with what they can do from a fitness and strength and rehabilitation recovery yeah all these types of things you know if chelsea want to put in cryo building you got to take something out you know, they are maxed, whereas some of these other training facilities, like I said, they have massive buildings that are multi-stories, that have a huge footprint, that are flexible. You can take stuff in and out. Chelsea, it is long and skinny. It is very hard to to kind of play within those those uh, structures that are there. It is. So you talk about the academy building, which is uh, it's two levels, and the entire ground level is given up to changing rooms. You're housing under nines, tens, elevens, twelve, thirteens, fourteens, fifteens, sixteens, eighteens, twenty ones. Not all at the same time, but you need enough changing rooms to house multiple teams on a single day. Upstairs is the offices and the kitchen. The gym used to be downstairs. It's now the, the rehab medical room. The gym was moved into part of the arena because it's the next available space. But you're already making compromises in what you need to do. The men's first team gym is more sizable by comparison, as it should be. But that takes up maybe a quarter of all space in that building. And if you wanted to expand on that, you have to make conference. Chelsea have now got four football-level directors. You've got Vivelle, Shield, Winstanley, and Stewart. Do they all get their own office, or do they have to sit around a four-desk? Neil Bath's new office is in the first team building. You only have a certain number of office spaces. We heard that Potter doesn't have an office in the same place that Tuchel had it or any of his predecessors. He's moved it somewhere else because you're having to juggle around and fit people in where you can, which is less than ideal. And fine, office space isn't the most important thing in in that sort of environment. But it just highlights the limitations you have on how you can find those marginal gains for everybody for, for the players for the, the the coaching staff the medical team everybody the performance staff you, you you don't want them to have to be compromising or be uncomfortable within their day-to-day working environment and when you don't have as much space as you'd like you do have to and we'll, we'll see what they'll do because they haven't been shy in throwing the money around in investment into the team and you take that 
hundred day review of everything. The the big overview of where the club sits and what it needs to do. The facilities scream that they need a refresh and a change and a rethink, but it's not as easy as just saying, yep, yeah, we'll pay for that. Here's the design. Let's go and build it because there are and have been a lot of obstacles in previous regimes way of getting any of that done. Yeah. I mean, I would say looking at some of these, Chelsea probably have the most pitches of any of these oh, training I, facilities. It's, it's huge. It's a huge site. We we got the walking tour number. and you're like winded at the end of it, Phil. <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 it's a staggering number of pitches and a staggering footprint. And it's further towards the end of the site you go. There isn't a whole lot there. It's enclosed by a motorway and a railway line. But the problem is you can't... And a river. And a river. You can't build your operations at that end because it's a long, long way back up to anything else recognizing civilization. Yeah. What they're going to have to do is replace some of these pitches with buildings. But again, it's going to have to be low and it's going to have to be wide. Right now, they, they literally go to Google Maps. You can see it like right where the pin drops. That's the men's building. It's a dark roof it's a skinny long building and across the way is the academy building with the white top and then the the bigger white top is the indoor facility so as you can see i think that's just going to have to be the play field they're going to have to just build something that new but even then it's not even then you you put the idea forward to say this is what we want to do and the question will come back from elmbridge council and others other stakeholders of why do you need this can you demonstrate an overarching need that you can't can't solve in another way to non-football people (laughs) exactly it's it's well above my (laughs) theoretical pay grade to even be discussed like considering it but it's it's something doesn't really get talked about a lot and i don't want people out there to assume that chelsea could just throw money at this problem and solve it and have uh keep building and building around cobham until it looks like something out of sim city but it's uh that it's, it's it's a really fascinating thing to look forward to from a new ownership. They're going to be considering how to do everything. As I said, the the extreme nuclear option is to find a new site and build it to your heart's content. But even somewhere else, you're going to face the same planning obstacles. It's a UK and thing. Finding, finding, a, finding a site of this size isn't easy. Leicester finally moved to Seagrave last year or shortly the, the previous year. They, it took them a long time to find that site, secure it, design it and get it moving. Um, the actual building and fitting out of it probably is the least arduous part of it. Once it's all done, you can get it done in pretty timely fashion. But you have to jump through obstacles. Like QPR and Brentford, for one of a comparison in West London, have been trying to find bigger sites for each, for themselves for a long, long, long time. And they can't do it. There's nothing remotely close to West London, which is why Chelsea are down at Cobham. Uh, a fair it's half hour, 40 minutes drive, depending on a good day. Um, and if you're moving out of Cobham how much further away you go and if you're coming back closer to London you aren't finding this land so I don't think it's particularly viable to consider leaving the site so you're left trying to find out figure out well how can we make the very best of this site within the parameters that we're allowed to move in yeah no for sure I know I looked at Spurs and Arsenal I mean they're way outside the city limits as well for their training facilities so well Arsenal's like Chelsea's isn't in London Tottenham's you can argue it's in London I don't believe that Enfield is in London but (laughs) I'm a I'm a London traditionalist. Hey, I'm not going to get involved. I got no dog in that fight. But if we, you are getting involved. You're coming to London. I, you know, I am getting involved. So if he somehow gets on the city docket, let me know. I'm sure you know I could go uh, rally some support. We could go door knocking, <laughs> hand out flyers. I mean, surely JT still lives down there. You know, JT does live in and around Cobham, and I think owns half of it as well. Oh my gosh! Yeah, <laughs> seriously, that's his golf Very course on the south real side. Estate. 
<laughs> yep. All right, Phil. Uh, well, thanks for shedding some light on the facilities. Obviously, I think that's a unique angle. You're not going to get anywhere else. Just the perspective, the potential need, and, and if the owners wanted to do something, what would it mean? So uh, that's going to wrap up another Cobham Crew in the books. Next time, Phil and I are together. It's going to be in person over on your side of the pond, sir. Uh, oh, by the way, offers on the table to come stateside. You just let us know. All right. I'll roll out the red carpet for you and um, you'll do it for me. Someday. Likewise, sir. All right. That's it for us. Uh, hope you'd enjoyed it. More content going out to this week as we lead up to us being in London. We'll touch down Friday morning. Very excited. So anyways, follow Phil at Chelsea Youth if you haven't already. But let's be honest, you already are. So until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.